We acknowledge you in all our ways, Lord. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for this time of worship. Let us draw closer to you, Lord. Let faith rise in our hearts as we draw close to you, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. You know, as we were singing that, um, children are dismissed to children's church. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Rick will bring you a Bible. While he's passing out Bibles, as we were singing that last song, you know, talking about the galaxies and motions and the stars all bright and all that, and thinking about the eclipse tomorrow, I couldn't help but to think of Psalms chapter 19. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. There's no language or no voice where their voice is not heard. He is in sovereign control. And and like Dina said, I love what she said, he's going to show off tomorrow. And we can stand in awe of his majestic power and his sovereignty over the universe and even over the eclipse. Amen? Amen. Really cool. So I'm I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. It's going to be a cool day. Um, Question for you this morning. It's a simple question, but it's a profound question. What is most important to you in life? You ask yourself that in your hearts. And you ask yourself, what is the most important thing to you in this life? Is it God? Is it your family? Is it yourself? Is it your job? What is the most important thing to you? Because this morning, you can begin turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, We're going to read the Holy Spirit-inspired words of the Apostle Paul. And you're going to see a man on fire. You're going to hear the words of the Apostle who has a passion. He has a passion for God. We're going to see in the text a man who has a passion for God. And it's obviously that his number one thing in life was Jesus, was Jesus. And guess what? It's not just for the Apostle Paul. These words are the inspired scriptures sent from God to us, 2 Timothy 3.16. And God wants you to be passionate about his son, Jesus Christ, and being a devout follower of Jesus. So y'all ready to dig into it this morning? We're going we're gonna to see a man that's consumed with two things. He's consumed with a passion for people, because that's important as a Christian. We love people. We we don't see skin color. We don't see ethnicity. We don't see nothing. We don't see none of those things the world looks at. We see all people, black, white, whatever colors are on the planet. We see all people as created in the image of God. And we are passionate about all people to coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We see no skin color. We see this mess going on up in Charlottesville. Hate has no place in the life of a Christian because we don't see skin color. We don't, we don't look at life that way. We look at life and we look at people the way God looks at them. as people that he created in his image and that Jesus died for and that's our brothers and sisters in Christ when they come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, This in this text here, this is what it looks like.
to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to see two things we're going to see in the Apostle Paul in this text. We're going to see a disciplined, focused life. You've got to be disciplined. You've you got to be focused. You've got to know where you're going. And second thing we're going to see in this text this morning as we finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is we're going to see his outreach. So it's kind of like this. We see what's going on inside of his heart and inside of his own life, the discipline, the training, and, and what it takes for him to serve the Lord, but we're also going to see how it affects the world around him. We're going to see in this text. Your discipline and your outreach, check this out, I'm going to repeat this. Your discipline and your outreach will define the depth of your Christianity. It will. It, it, your, your discipline and, and your reach out, you know, we're saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone by grace. But in Christianity, we go deeper. We go deeper in our love for Jesus. We go deeper in our love for people. And these are good gauges of where uh, the depth of our Christianity is. Um, don't look at American Christianity as the standard for Christianity. Because American Christianity says, we'll just don the door of a church one Sunday a week on Sunday morning for real quick and get your dose and then go out and forget about God the rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, and do your own thing. That's not Christianity. Christianity, we have to look at the Bible, and in the Bible, it's defined by a passion for Jesus and a passion for people. I want to start off with a couple of quotes before we pray and get into the Word. Let's look at this first quote by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard, uh, a Baptist seminary professor, he says, when Jesus walked among humankind, there was a certain simplicity to being a disciple. Primarily, it meant to go with him. Look at these words. To go with him in an attitude of study, obedience, and imitation. That captures it. That captures us following Christ. Those three things. Studying his word, obeying him, and then following in his footsteps. Living life doing what Jesus would do. Oswald J. Smith said this, and I know you've heard this. He says, the church that, and talking about evangelism, the church that does not evangelize will what? Will die or will fossilize. And let me say, the believers that do not evangelize will fossilize. It's very important that as we, um, we grow in our discipline and our focus and, and get into the crux of the matter and dealing with issues in our heart. And, and, then, and then taking that to the world through the gospel. So y'all ready to get into it? Let's pray. And it, 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 turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're looking at verses 19 through 27. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. And Lord, as we dive into it now, uh, let us be like Mary. Let us say those words. Be it unto me according to your word, Lord God. And let us be transformed and be changed and be challenged this morning to take that next step in, in, in being a devout follower of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Let's, let's look at it. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, as though not being myself under the law, so that I might 
win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I had become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. What we see here in this passage here is a, a focused apostle. We see Paul this focus. He's got one thing on his mind. And that one thing on his mind is he wants to see people saved. He is a soul winner. He wants to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he was consumed with those two things we talked about. He was consumed with a love for Jesus, and he was consumed with a passion for people. I want you to see the, in verses 19 through 22, he repeats this phrase six or seven times. That I may, look at, look at verse 19. I'm not going to read it all, but verse 19 he says, That I may win more. Verse 20, that I might win Jews. Halfway down through verse 20, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, that I might win those who are without the law. Verse 22, that I might win the weak. That I might, in the very end of verse 22, that I may by all means save some. This, my friend, is what you call a passion. This is what a passion for souls looks like. Who's off the radar? Nobody. He's got all people in line. In line with what the scripture says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nobody's off the radar. He has a consuming fire inside his heart from the Holy Spirit. In, in the Apostle Paul's mind, after knowing what Jesus did at Calvary and through the resurrection and through his Damascus Road uh, conversion in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul sees his life this way in view of people. I have a debt to humanity. I, I have, I have a, a debt to humanity. I am committed to the people on this earth as long as I have lungs in my air to share the gospel to all people. He broke it out from Israel and went on all the missionary journeys through Europe to the Gentiles. What did the Pharisees and the Jews, how did, how did they feel about the Gentiles before the gospel was spread? They had this old saying that said that uh, Gentiles were logs for the fires of hell. They did not like the Gentiles and their pharisaical religious worldview. But Paul understood the gospel and the gospel was for all people and he had a passion for them. He was completely convinced. Paul in his mind, in his heart, he was com completely convinced of John 14, 6. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, this wasn't the Apostle Paul's religion. This wasn't his traditions. This was reality. And he said, I've got a debt. I've got to share the gospel with people. I've got to get the, the word out. One of the most, how many of you like philosophy? Philosophical statements, reason, logic, science. Take, take a note, take a, write a note out the side of your Bible. Go home and study 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. This, to me, is the most philosophical statement 
in existence, in the Bible, in, all, in every realm of life, science, and reason. In 2 Corinthians 13, 8, the Apostle Paul says this, For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. In other words, the truth is invincible. It can't be changed. Whether me or Monty accept it or reject it, whether we believe it or we not believe it, it's still the truth. It's still the truth. And Paul had that in his mind and in his heart. He understood as he went to Athens and Berea and Thessalonica. He understood. He saw these people and he's like, they're going to perish if I don't get the gospel to them. I'm not just trying to bring my religion to Corinth or Ephesus or Rome. I'm trying to bring the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a debt. He had an overwhelming debt to humanity. And I'm going to tell you, in my life, the more I dig into the gospel, the more I savor the truths of the Bible and seeing the Son of God high and lifted up on the cross. And uh, Okay, first off, let me say this. You are looking at the wretch the song refers to right now. Okay? I'm the chief of sinners. That's the only verse I disagree with in the Bible where Paul says, I am the chief of sinners. I disagree with him there. I am the chief of sinners. I think about all my disobedience over the years. I think about all my sin. I think about all my deliberate rebellion. I think about all the times I've strayed away from the Lord. And he still died for me on the cross. He still loves me. He still forgives me. And I'm just overwhelmed. I'm like, oh man, what a mighty God this is. And the, 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 he's the truth. He is, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. It's invincible. And that's what was in Paul's mind as he went throughout these journeys. I'm not bringing you my religion. I'm not bringing some new crazy teaching. I'm bringing you the reality of Jesus. And he had that overwhelming debt to humanity. And check this out. Looking at verses 19 through 22, he was willing to give up anything if it meant people being saved. That's what he's saying in this text. He, when he says, he, he says to, to this group I became this group, to this group I became this group, he's like, whatever the blockage is from me witnessing to these Jews or these Gentiles or these people under the law, or, or, or not having the law, I am going to do whatever. I'm going to remove the blockages. I'm going to remove the distractions. And I'm going to share the gospel with them. That was his overwhelming passion. My question to you this morning is this. Are you, what are you willing to give up? Are you willing to go anywhere? Are you willing to give up whatever it takes to reach that neighbor? Are, are you willing to do whatever it takes? That's got to be our heart. That's got to be our heart in our outreach and our evangelism. Whether it's you ministering to your children and trying to bring them in. Whether you're trying to witness to a neighbor. Whether you're a youth leader and you're trying to connect with students. Um, wherever it's at, in your workplace, whatever, where, wherever and whenever. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? That was, that's what Paul is saying in this text. I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to remove any stumbling blocks. 
I want you to look at verse, go back and look at verse 19. Uh, look at the paradox, the paradox of verse 19. You're thinking, if you read this sentence, you're like, this, this, this verse doesn't make no sense. But I'm going to explain it to you. Look at the paradox in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Okay, Paul, okay, Paul what are you? Are you free from all men? Or are you a slave? Which one is it? You say you're free from all men, but you turn around in the same breath and say you're a slave to all men. Let's break it down. Look at verse 19. He says, for though I, first part, verse 19, for though I am free from all men. What he's saying there is, I am free from your expectations. I am free from your ceremonial laws. I am free from your, uh, your Sabbath and, and, and your Levitical laws. I am, Paul is saying, I am free from the expectations of man. I don't have to please you. I don't have to please man. I please one, and that's Jesus. Paul is saying here, I find my identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, I am free from all men. I'm free from the expectations of men. I'm free from uh, your uh, traditions. I'm free from your Levitical, your, uh, your food and your dietary laws. And I am subject to one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it, continues. For though I am free from all men, look at the next few words. I have made myself a slave to a few people. Is that what it says? It says, I have made myself a slave to all. The Greek word is a doulos. It's a servant. He's making Paul in his endeavors to reach people the gospel. He says, I'm making myself a servant. I'm making myself a servant to you. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your skin color is. I don't care if you're old, you're young, you're Greek, you're barbarian, you're you're Gentile, you're European, you're American, you're Chinese, you're whatever, all the nationalities out there. I don't care where you're from. I want to reach you with the gospel. And I'm making myself, he says here, I'm making myself a slave to all. I'm on a mission to share the gospel, and I'm going to serve people. And there's a principle here, too. Not only do we go out and share the gospel verbally with people, but we do it with an attitude of being a servant. We do it with an attitude of serving. I am going to serve you with the hopes of winning you to Jesus, is what Paul is saying here. And what's the goal? The third part of verse 19, after the comma of all, it says, so that I may win more. Do you see it? Do you see it? His goal in serving was to bring people to Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. We have a debt to humanity to, to serve the people and to share Jesus with them. Okay? It's, it's only our job to share Jesus with them, to present the gospel to them. It's God's job to change the heart. It's, jobs, it's, it's God's job to change the heart. You know, if, if you go out you do street ministry, you do street evangelism, and people reject it, walk away. If you witness to someone and, and they reject it, you've done your part. 
You've done your part. It's God's job from there. It's our job to speak the words and to serve them. And then it's the Holy Spirit's job to change the heart and bring them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. You know, people say, well, how many people have you led to Christ? We lead, we lead everyone to Christ. What they do with it, once they have that information, is between them and God. And we, let's let God do his job. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have a responsibility is to share it. It's God's job to save. So, he, so here, uh, Paul is focusing outward in reaching out to people and sharing the gospel with them. Let's look at verse 23. Verse 23, very profound statement. This is one of those verses that you could put above your desk or you could put on your mantle or put on your wall or whatever. Really powerful verse. Look at verse 23. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul's life centered on the gospel. Paul's life centered on the gospel. He had to be a tent maker. He had to go about taking care of his daily life and all the places he went in life. And that was all very important. But everything centered on the gospel. Our family life with our children, our, our relationship with our husband and wife it should center around the gospel. It should center around Jesus. When a husband and wife, you know, we, we all just, we get along always, forever. We're in harmony. There's never no arguments. There's never no disagreements. Is, is, that, is that the way, is that the way a, a husband and wife relationship works? Okay, not in our household. Not in our household. But once me and Irene understand the gospel, and we look at each other, and we look at God, and we say, I'm the chief of sinner. And we come to each other with a heart of humility and we center our marriage around the gospel. It makes our marriage that much better. Take it beyond that. Your work. You know, do everything for the glory of God. Even when you're at work, let your work center around the gospel. Let your family center around the gospel. Let everything you do, let it glorify Christ. Let it glorify Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's, let's roll into um, our training now. There's training required. You know that, right? There's training required to, in being a Christian and living out the Christian life. Let's look at verses 24 through 27. He says, Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul went to Corinth on the second missionary journey, 55-ish A.D., 55-56 A.D., and the first thing he ran into was there at Corinth was the ancient Isthmus Games. He has a lot of this imagery throughout the book of Corinthians, this competing, the Isthmus Games. They were a minor league to the Olympic Games. 
So he gets lots of these pictures, these illustrations in the text from what he was seeing going on in the world. And what I wanted to say, what I want to share with you is this. We, you and I, you're a believer in Christ. You are like an athlete. You are like an athlete and you are a runner. So what I want to give to you is one, two, I want to give you six principles of a runner that apply to the Christian life. Let's look at the first one. The first one is, a runner is trained. A a runner, an athlete, is trained. As a believer, we have to receive training, okay? We can't just wing this thing. We can't just do it our way. We've got to receive training. We've got to receive instructions where we sit down and we learn. Where do we get that from? Second, from the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Here it is. This is what the Bible's for. This is what the Bible's for. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, if you're taking notes. This is where we as a runner, running the race of the Christian life, this is where we get our training Sunday mornings, getting into the Word of God, getting into Bible studies, you having your devotions throughout the week, and getting in the Word. That's where you, as a runner, receive training. Number two, a runner is coached. A runner is coached. Every good runner has a coach or a trainer. Every believer should have a coach or a trainer. Question for you, who's pushing you? Who is pushing you in your Christian life? Who is um, your role model? Who is your role model? Who is challenging you to take the next step? We need that in our life. We need that. Men and ladies, we need that in our life. We need that coach. We need that trainer. And the only way you're going to find that coach or that trainer is to get into fellowship is to build relationships. Men build relationships with men through men's ministry, women through women's ministry, and you find that coach. You find that believer, that brother or sister in Christ who calls you up and says, hey, how's things going? No, I mean really. How's things really going in, in, in areas of your life? We need that coach. We need that person that, that's um, challenging us. The uh, Apostle Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. He said, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, there comes a stage in your, in your Christian walk where you're being coached, and we all need that coach. And then there's going to come a stage in life where God's going to call you to be the coach and raise up the person behind you. Very, very important. we got to have a coach. Every runner has to be trained in the Word of God. Every runner has to be coached. Let's look at the next one. I don't know if you've ever ran a marathon, but if you don't get water, what will happen? You'll cramp up. You won't make it. You'll fall out. For 26 years, 
I had to do a, I had, I had to do a PT test twice a week. I mean, twice a week, twice a year. And we, would, we ran two or three times every week. And we always, 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 after I'd down my cup of quick coffee, I would down a bottle of water before we take off on a run. Because I know I had to have nutrition. Now, as we live out the Christian life, there's going to be times where things seem to run dry. And we're going to go through dry spells. And we're just not, we're, you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it in here. You're not feeling it in your heart. And there's times that we got to stop when there's no more gas left in the tank and say this, Holy Spirit, I need you to come down and give me the living water. Give me the strength. Give me the energy. Give me the power to keep going in the Christian walk. Amen? There's a, a, we call it times of refreshing. Times of refreshing where you could be at church in a worship service. You could be having your devotions uh, on, in, a, in the morning hours, the evening hours. Just put on some worship music. I, in my study, I put on my beats, blocks out all the sound. I put some worship music on, and I just sat there, and I just closed my eyes, and just listened to the worship songs, and I sing it, and I just say, Lord, I need you. I need you. Fill me afresh. Fill me anew. Give me energy. Give me strength. We all got to have that. We all at times run out of gas, okay? And we need refreshings from the Lord that comes through the Holy Spirit. So a runner, a runner needs water. Let's look at the fourth one. A runner is determined. A runner is determined. You know what? That's not always easy. It's not always easy to have determination. Last June, June 12th, Emily went off to boot camp, and we got the scripted phone call that night. She called us crying. She called us crying. My 17-year-old, who's lived in my house every single night, who I get to kiss every single night, who we get to usher off to bed, and she's traveled 1,000 miles. She's checked into the 43rd Reception Battalion at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. I know that. I've been there. We, we, we were both in the same basic training company. It was crazy. But anyway, she shows up to the 43rd reception time. She calls me and I ring gets the script call. She's crying. She's like, I don't want to be here. I don't like this. I, I, I want to come home. And we heard her crying. I said, sweetie, you got to dig deep. You got to dig deep. I was like, it's just a head game. I know the hall she's sitting in with the big U.S. flag and the United States Army and drill sergeants all around. <laughs> Excuse me. I said, Emily, you got to dig deep, sweetie. It will get better. It will get better. It's going to be tough. Then she called us on the morning. They, they have to give the recruits a phone call whenever they change status. So then she called us that Saturday at 12 o'clock, and she was getting ready to get on the, uh, the bus to go to the shark attack. I said, sweetie, you're fixing to have the most miserable 24 hours of your life. You're going to hate it. It's going to make you want to quit. It's going to make all you want to quit. I said, but you've got to dig deep. Remember this. It's just a head game. I, I only had like 60 seconds. That's just a head game. I said, just stay focused. Just stay determined. Just when it, whenever they're talking at you, I said, just want, 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 want. You know, just envision them with a, a turtle head and doing their thing. And I said, but you've got to stay determined and focused. Now, enough of that. In the Christian life, 
We face difficult challenges. We face times where we don't want to keep on going. But we got to stay the course. We got to, you've got to stay the course, and you've got to stay determined. You've got to stay determined. I'm going to do this. I know some of you in here right now are going through difficult situations. I know some of you right now in this room are going through a fiery trial with family and loved ones. And you're, some of you guys are going through fiery trials. And here's my word of encouragement to you. Stay determined. Stay focused. There's light at the end of the tunnel. You will make it through, okay? You will make it through. With God's grace and God's help, God will see you through. Can I get an amen? amen. you got to stay determined. you got to stay determined. So a runner is trained. A runner is coached. A runner has water. A runner is uh, determined. Finally, next one, not actually two more. A runner is going for the goal. Life should be looked in a linear, linear, a linear line. You have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Your ultimate goal is receiving, as this text says, we saw an imperishable crown. You're running the race. One day, Robert, you're going to lead this life, and you're going to stand in all his glory. And you're going to be amazed. You're going to be amazed. And you can be like, all those fiery trials, all those difficult situations, all that stuff that broke our hearts, all the tragic things that happen, it's going to pale in comparison to seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. That's the race that we're running for. That's the race that we're called to, to aim towards is we're heading towards that day when we see Jesus in all his glory in heaven. And we're, our goal and is secured it was secured at a cross, is an imperishable crown. Amen? Finally, a runner is disciplined. A runner is disciplined. As a Christian, you've got to guard your heart. As a Christian, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your mind. You've got to guard what you look at, what you listen to. You know, we, we, we live in a a sex-crazed world. We live in a world that's trying to pull you away from this personal relationship. It's trying, to, it's trying to, you're running the race, and the world is just throwing these marbles across the road to try to trip you up. We got, we got to stay disciplined. We've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our minds, and we've got to be mindful of the places we go because they will affect our Christian walk. Amen? So, Verses 24 through 27, verse 27, talking about being disciplined. Let's look at it real quick, the last verse. But I, talking about discipline, this final point. But I discipline my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Um, it's not a willy-nilly, do-whatever-you-want Christian life. It's a, it's a disciplined life. It's a focused life. It's a focused life on evangelism. It's a focused life on obeying God. It's a focused life enjoying God and, and enjoying his greatness and his goodness and his mercy. 
throughout all life. Amen?